0: the square peg podcast mold breakers trailblazers and takers of roads less traveled
1: not all of us look the way the world expects us to look think as the world expects us to think or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to on the square peg podcast we give a voice to mold breakers trailblazers and takers of roads less traveled i'm your host andrew lawrence and here are their stories Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The Hashtag Needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Paso's. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Keith Johnson, owner of Camino Tattoo Studio, has been a professional licensed tattoo artist in Las Cruces since 2000. He does everything from American traditional to photorealistic tattooing, and he works by appointment only. Email him today to get your custom tattoo. You can find him at CaminoTattooStudio.com or from the bio in the link at www.CaminoTattooStudio.com. Of course, you can also find Camino Tattoo Studio on instagram and facebook and just a little personal note for me um turning 48 here real soon didn't get my first tattoo until about two years ago and um while keith didn't do that one he's done three since then and uh, i've been going through this kind of transition you know in my later 40s if you will and uh made some changes to my fitness to my my supplementation and my diet and i've seen some big changes in my body and i'll tell you I've never loved my body, I probably never will, but with the changes I've made and the artwork that Keith has uh, been able to put on my body, learning to hate it a little bit less every day. So if you want to be uh, like me and get some good artwork on you, give, give Keith a, an email uh, and, and go get your the
0: tattoo. Square Peg Podcast.
1: My guests today are both, are one is the executive director and the other one is the operations manager of a local ministry of Peace Lutheran Church, which is called the Border Servant Corps. They oversee a sheltering and hospitality program for migrants seeking refuge and asylum, a cultural immersion program, and community engagement programs. Kari Lanander and Kyle Boyd, welcome to the Square Peg podcast. Thanks for having us. Hello. Hey, Kyle. Hey, you know what? I just met Kyle yesterday. Of course, I met Kari before, and you guys were good enough to give me a tour of your facility so I could kind of get a better idea of of what you guys are going to be talking about today. Uh, now, you guys had an opportunity to, a uh, brief opportunity to, to listen to the song Barrymore, which is our intro and outro music. Kari, do you want to go first? Give us, do uh, you got a thumbs up or a thumbs down?
0: I would say a thumbs
1: up. A thumbs up. Now, Kyle, what do you think?
2: I'll give it a thumbs up.
1: You got two thumbs up. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got two thumbs up for Barrymore by the Searchlight Needles. Um, so, hey, Kari, obviously we're going to dive deeper into it, but can you kind of give a real brief overview version Of what Border Servant Corps is and um, what do you guys do very I mean just like I said we're gonna go into it in detail but if you wanted to give the very brief very overview version what would you say?
0: Sure so Border Servant Corps since 1997 has existed to serve the Borderlands and currently like you said we operate in three different realms we do direct service through a hospitality program We do Borderlands education and engagement with community members.
1: Now, Kyle, uh, tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, uh, what you did before you were involved in uh, Border Servant Corps, and actually how you got involved in doing the job you're doing today.
2: So I guess I'll start at the beginning. Uh, I retired, should I say, I, I was a city firefighter in Las Cruces for 20 years. I retired four years ago. And I was one of the two directors at the City of Las Cruces Refugee Shelter, not Refugee, Asylum Shelter in 2019. And that's how I got to be involved with Border Servant Corps and the, the Asylum Sheltering Project going on right now.
1: Uh, now, I would imagine from, from the way you've described it, the, the job you did when you worked for the city after retiring from the fire department is pretty similar to what you're doing today?
2: Very similar, yes.
1: Okay. And would it would it make sense just to say that after spending uh, 20 years in a very specific area of uh, uh, serving the public and kind of not to sound cliche or, or cheesy, but doing good deeds, if you will. Um, I mean, everybody loves a firefighter, right? It's not like being a cop or anything. Um, <laughs> but you have kind of a service minded. Sounds like you're you're you have it in your mind that you want to provide service for people uh, and do good things for your community and help people keep, keep people safe. Uh, and get them where they're going. Is that is that, a, is that a, probably a good assumption? Uh, I would say yes. And um, did you know when you before you retired from the fire department that this is the type of work you wanted to do?
2: Absolutely not.
1: How did you get into it then?
2: Uh, a chance encounter at a grocery store.
1: A chance encounter at a grocery store for, for, with somebody who was already in that type of that type of work.
2: Yes, uh, in 2019, the fire department was called upon to run the city's asylum shelter that was started uh, very rapidly. And while the city was in the middle of setting that process up, I happened to run into one of my colleagues who was in charge of running the shelter, and he asked me if I wanted to come on down. And I came on down, and then not too long after that, I was in charge of it.
1: Do you feel like your experience working there kind of gave you a good a good idea of what you were getting into with border servant corps, and, and you feel like you've got a, a good idea of some of the uh, things that you have to do, and some of the uh, maybe even networking with people outside of your program.
2: It it did um, a lot of what I did at the city shelter tied into what I was doing at the fire department as well. You know, the fire department is a multifaceted organization, and there's a lot of uh, different types of jobs. And the stuff I was doing there tailored very well into working at the city shelter. And then, of course, that ties straight into this. So I actually have a lot more uh, flexibility at Border Servant Corps than I did with the city. Um, I do a lot of the purchasing and uh, other things that was city domain then. So the same kind of stuff I did when I actually was at the fire department. So they all kind of came together, fortuitously.
1: Okay. Well, Kari, now you obviously have a much longer you're much longer tenure than you have a much longer history uh, with the Border Servant Corps. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background just kind of where you're from and how you ended up in Las Cruces and how you ended up uh, involved with board of the servant Corps and how that's led you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, so I'm originally from the Midwest and after college I was looking to do service uh, some somewhere in some way and I was a business and communications member uh, or I had a biz- business and communications major which, Qualifies you for a lot of things, yet nothing super specific at the same time. And so um, I had a friend who pointed me toward Border Servant Corps, and I served for a couple of years with a congregation that's one of our partners in downtown El Paso and worked with an after-school program. And they also have a border immersion program. And we've continued that partnership with that organization to this day. They're part of our hospitality ministry, and we overlap on lots of our our community projects, so I've, I've been with border servant Corps in different capacities since 2008 and I've been very fortunate um, to be with this program as it has transitioned and evolved and brought different community members and partners alongside us one of the big things about order servant Corps is we rarely if ever do anything alone and so we're you know we have a lot of really excellent partners individuals and congregations and um, community organizations, government partners, um, you know, locally, regionally, uh, nationally and internationally. And, and that's the only way that we can do our, our work is by collaborating with all these different folks.
1: Now your initial involvement with border Service Corps was with a, a part of the program. That's no longer part of it. Just can you talk a little bit about that and, and what your experiences were doing that?
0: Sure. So we, um, we had, at the time, we had a year-long volunteer program, and so that was part of um, what I originally came down to do. And so I stayed for uh, two years and worked with a social service agency, uh, learned a lot from the community, lived very uh, simply and in community with other people, um, and and really got uh, got a foothold and, and became... Uh, Part of this community in a very different way than I had ever anticipated, which which ended up uh, bringing me back here and has kept me here ever since.
1: Well, you know what they say about New Mexico; they don't call it the land of entrapment for nothing. Um, when when <laughs> sure. I moved out here, my dad said that when I moved here in nineteen ninety eight, my dad said that people are known to move to the Southwest and never never come back. But um, now now, Border <laughs> Servant Corps is uh, closely affiliated with, some might say, is is a it, what's well, a ministry of Peace Lutheran Church. Was your, um, was your decision to come here and be part of Border Service Corps in the beginning uh, any, in any way, shape, or form tied to your faith?
0: Yeah, it was originally. My dad's a Lutheran pastor, and so I was looking at different um, faith-based service opportunities. Um, and I would say uh, that was part of the motivation to come and part of the reason to stay has really been uh, what this community has come to mean.
1: Now, Kyle... Um, I know, obviously, you're the operations manager for this hospitality program. Do you have any involvement with border immersion?
2: Um, no, not really. We have, we, have, we have our executive staff, and we talk to each other about the different things that we're working on. So the immersions program coordinator, she asks me questions, and I may ask her questions. So I'm involved in the immersions tangentially, but not directly.
1: Okay, well, in that case, Kari, can you talk about the Border Immersion Program? How long is it? Uh, Who participates and what kind of uh, things are people who participated it experience and what what might they be able to take back with them uh, to their communities where they live?
0: So the Immersion Program uh, is a week-long program where uh, groups of people from high schoolers to college students to adult groups uh, come down for a week at a time. And they come to learn about our current border reality and what that means in this region, but also to take that back and apply it to where they live. So we tell people that instead of sound bites and news clips, we want them to, you know, hear stories and facts from people who have all different kinds of perspectives, all different roles in the community. Um, and to come in with open minds and hearts, we want them to think critically, we want them to reflect on what they're learning as they, come, as they go throughout the week, and we don't want it to be this one-off, one-week experience. We want them to take what they've learned and really connect it to the communities that they're going back to, because in many ways you can learn things um, about the border, in the border, um, that are, are universal truths that can apply in whatever community uh, you're in. And so we want people to connect connect what they're learning and seeing here with other places. So people will do everything from going to immigration court and talking to a judge and perhaps a public defender. Uh, they will uh, have a chance to sit down and hear stories from people who have Uh, experiences migrating themselves and what that experience has been like, what motivated that, what the process was like, and what it's like for them now. People uh, go to the fence and they hear from Border Patrol firsthand about the realities in our community. And they'll also, you know, spend time talking to NGOs of all different, um, you know, involvement in the borderlands about what, about how different NGOs stand up and stand together on both sides of the border in this whole, you know, borderland community in Juarez and El Paso and in Las Cruces. Um, they'll hear from immigration lawyers. Um, and really we just try to help folks get a sense of, of what this community is and let the community speak for, speak for itself.
1: Now uh, for our listeners, when you say NGO, you're talking about.
0: Nonprofit in the region. So um, people who have lots of different different missions, um, but engage the community, I would say, in a variety of ways.
1: Now, you, the, what you, how you've described Border Immersion Program and some of the things that the participants uh, are involved in, those all seem to be in some way, shape, or form uh, immigration or migration uh, involved. Do they get involved in th- in other things that don't involve uh, Border Patrol fences, Immigration Court? Uh, do they get involved with local farmers? Do they have to learn about the chili crop? Uh, Pistol Pete, Billy the Kid, is, is that part of the program?
0: They do. The, I mean, the program is pretty um, pretty encompassing, though Though much of it does focus on migration. That—that That is accurate. So they may go um, and speak with chili farmers or at, at pecan farms. They'll also talk to the Migrant Farm Workers Center. Um, so, so yes, they will learn a variety of things. They will see a variety of things. Um, we try to Try to provide people a well-rounded sense of, of the beauty and the complexities of the borderlands region.
1: Well, and as, you know, we all spoke about yesterday, we have, we, we all know somebody who just left Las Cruces uh, to go to North Dakota and I had a conversation with him at his house right before he left. And he was saying that uh, somebody who was helping him find a home up, home up there uh, found out he was from, you know, he was coming from Las Cruces and that it was uh, in a border County, uh, Dona County borders, New Mexico, borders, Mexico. And uh they asked well do you do you have people like coming through yards they're crossing the border and then walking through your yard and and Of course, we got kind of a little bit of a chuckle about that, and as we discussed, there are some places in South Texas where that does happen, but I guess uh that's one of the reasons that the border one of the one of the values of the border immersion program is that people who might see that on television and assume that anywhere you live on the border you're gonna be dealing with uh coming face to face with people you know coming here in in ways that some people not may not approve of or agree with uh but people walking through your yard and 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 have to find come to find out that that's not necessarily the case now kyle the hospitality program kind of involves and and serves directly people who are kind of at the center of a really hot button political issue and as we talked about uh the one area of my life where we don't talk politics is on the Square Peg podcast, but I do find it interesting, and and the kind of the way we were able to, I was able to to justify to myself uh, that this would be a good topic to talk about, is that you're actually taking something that for most people uh, is a very have strong opinions about, it. for most people is a very hot button top topic uh, politically, but you're dealing with it in a in a very non political way. You are literally serving people who are in need uh, and who are going through uh, the process. Um, What does that mean to you?
2: I guess I'm sorry, if you could rephrase your question. Um, What does it mean to me that we're serving people in a non-political way?
1: I mean, how are you able to – what does that mean to you to be able to do that? Let's put it this way, to be able to do what you do and help people in a way that I think that people – it doesn't matter what people think of immigration or how, how it's being done. What does it mean to you to be able to just simply serve people uh, and do, do things that, that help people and keep them healthy and safe um, on their journeys? How, how important is that to you?
2: Well, it's very important. I mean, the politics doesn't enter into it for me. We're, we're helping people. Um, I I don't subscribe to the to many folks. Attitudes about the intersection of people and politics. These aren't these aren't politics. These aren't politics. These are just humans who need our help. Um, when the fire department shows up, when the police department shows up, the first thing they ask you isn't "What's your immigration status?" They just ask you "What's your problem?" And then they help you with it. It's exactly the same thing here.
1: I was right before you went there. I was going to kind of make that analogy, but thank you for doing that for me. Now you guys have talked about having partners partners in the local faith community and kind of along the same lines, you know, it's unfortunate that you could, a lot of times you, you say the name of a church or the particular brand of, of, uh, Christianity or, or, or the religions they may be a part of. And, and I think a lot of times you think, you know, what their reaction is going to be. And in many cases it's pretty accurate, uh, what their reaction is going to be to any kind of political issue. But when it comes to this border issue and migrants, um, that's not the issue. And you, we, as we talked about it, um, there are a lot of local faith uh, entities in this community that you guys have partnered with. Kari, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, this has really been an effort focused on on our shared humanity. This is not about politics. This is not about religion. Our partners, uh, at least in the, in the faith-based world, have included folks from all different backgrounds—Catholics and Protestants, Evangelicals, nonprofits—I'm uh, sorry, um, non-denominational folks—we've had people from the Jewish community and the Muslim community, people who are atheists and agnostics. I would be hard-pressed to to consider a faith population or or non-faith population that hasn't expressed an interest and really. Either come to serve, or donated, or supported in one way, shape, or form. There are lots of people um, who who really understand that this is a humanitarian issue, and beyond politics or religion, um, this is the way that the community can come together to care for our neighbors that are that are in our midst.
1: Well, and when a couple of years ago, um, lest anybody think that the the. The migrant caravan of a couple months ago was the first one we've ever had. It happened a couple years ago, and and I know that Border Servant Corps, of course, was involved in in, uh, providing hospitality and and then the services you provide. But if if I'm not mistaken, there were several other churches that actually used uh, their facilities on site in their fellowship halls to help house people. Am I I correct?
0: You are. Yeah, there there are many congregations that have... Um, stepped up and and still continue to do so um, in this community and in the in the border wide community as well. Um, lots lots of different faith traditions and and community uh, engagement organizations.
1: Now your funding, that's always important. Uh, it's takes money to to run this program, and um, I know there are people who you know make private donations, uh, clothing and uh, toiletries and things like that. Where does the funding for the Border Servant Corps uh, come from?
0: So Border Servant Corps derives its funding from a variety of places. You know, we have uh, we have some federal funding we're able to use, which we're very grateful for. We also have lots of individuals and organizations, lots of churches that support us. We have a variety of grant sources um, and people who have stepped forward, foundations, Um You know we have donations that we're receiving every day. Some, you know, it's a a retired person who is going through their clothes and they found a, you know, a pair of pants in the back of their closet that they haven't used before, and so they'll come and drop it off so we can share it with the with the people who are passing through our shelter. And we have schools in different parts of the country um, that are making blankets and they send those uh, in care packages. So. It's really, it's really a local and community effort, um, both financially, materially, and then volunteer-wise that, that helps this project um, really, really come to life.
1: Now, when it comes to managing, obviously you've got a budget and you've got to, you know, figure out how, you, how to get the money and, and how, to, how to allot money for different parts of your program. Have you had to, do you have to do the, the budgeting yourself or do you have a budget specialist or somebody you work with?
0: Yeah, we have a we have a financial manager on staff. We have a, an excellent treasurer who's on our board, who is just incredible and has been really supportive of Border Service Corps for many years, and who has who has stepped up a lot in many different ways. Um, and we also are grateful to have an excellent partnership with our local United Way um, that also has served as as a fiscal sponsor for a portion of the funding, um, and they have just really been instrumental in helping all of all of the projects come together in a safe and sustainable way
1: now we you walked me through your, your reception center uh yesterday when i spoke with you guys and i saw flags from we, we kind of chuckled at there were i don't know maybe a dozen and a half flags and i could recognize i could name maybe two or three of them kyle um who does the hospitality serve, uh, program serve? Uh, how, many, how many different countries and how many people have come through uh, from all the different parts of the world?
2: Um, Kyle, do you know our total, our total number of guests we've grown so far? Over 700 by now? We're, we're over 700. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have a, a, an accurate count by like this minute. And we're, we're easily over 30, 30 different nations.
1: And some of the more interesting ones, you said some, somebody from Nepal?
2: Uh, we've got somebody from Nepal the other day, uh, we've got folks from Uzbekistan, um, Jordan, we've got people from Central and South America, uh, people from Africa. Uh, the interesting thing about, uh, about our guests is that we never know who we're going to get until they step out of the van onto our, uh, onto our facility. We get surprised every day.
1: You get surprised every day. Now, I guess this this would be a good time when we talk about the people you're receiving. How do these people come to you? Uh, what, what is the process um, in the days and weeks before they're actually, you know, you pick them up in a van and bring them to your facility?
2: Well, most of the folks that we get are folks who are uh, surrendering directly to Border Patrol, and then they're, they're processed. Uh, either through border patrol or through ice i'm not totally uh, familiar with that technicality stuff um they stay they could stay with them as few as a day uh, excuse a few days and for instance we got some of the folks um some of the haitians they were only with border patrol for a day or two before they got to us and then we've had people who were there for several weeks or longer <laughs>
1: So these are people who have have come to the United States, uh, have surrendered themselves to authorities, and in some form or fashion, I guess they're seeking asylum, refugee status, and they're they're processed. I guess you know I would imagine fingerprinted, photographed, interviewed, um, and then they're given a date by which they have to appear uh, before an immigration uh, court. Right.
0: Yes. That's correct. Everyone who's released to us has been has been processed. They have paperwork, and they have a date where they'll check in with ICE at their destination. They're headed to sponsors in different parts of the U.S. Um, people come, and they've they've identified sponsors uh, before they even arrive. So most of the time, that's family. It can be a network of of friends, um, and the sponsors, um, you know, will care for folks while they're going through their immigration immigration process most mostly to
1: seek asylum and so these people once they leave your facility they're not just you know into the wind they actually have uh somebody of record uh that the 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 authorities know where they're going to be and i would imagine that they're going to get assigned to to whatever federal district courthouse or, or immigration court that would be in that geographic area
0: Exactly, their paperwork has the, the name of the sponsor that's already been contacted prior to their release, and is anticipating their arrival, um, and they'll they'll help them make sure they get to um, all the check-ins that they need to get into um, throughout the process, and you know help help them with you know meet all their basic needs while they're here in the in the meantime.
1: Now I know that there was a time when uh, people coming through this program were housed. Uh, at least in some part, uh, on 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 the premises at Peace Lutheran Church, you guys are at a different location now, and it really is kind of full service. Um, my understanding is so as the operations manager, Kyle, you're kind of in charge of doing a lot of the hiring and, and staffing. Um, I was really impressed when I toured your facility yesterday with all the different services that are offered. Uh, can you talk about um, the services you guys offer on on premises there and? Um, how many people it takes to staff all the different uh, jobs?
2: Um, so we have two different uh, sections. Like I said, we have the travel department, which is the folks who contact the sponsors and make the travel arrangements along with the drivers. Um, Not being in El Paso, we have to drive people to the air force and bus stations in El Paso. Most of the folks that we get are flying home. It's just a lot easier for them to go that way. And then we have our regular our guest services department, should I say, which is kind of like a combination of a grocery store slash clothing store slash hotel concierge. Uh, pretty much everything that a guest might need that doesn't involve travel. So we, we have three meals a day. We have clothing, we have, um, hygiene supplies, feminine hygiene products, diapers, uh, all the clothing. I don't know if I mentioned that. And then, um, Oh gosh. I would say,
0: I would say, additionally, we have this excellent partnership with Save the Children, who goes into areas of uh, disaster response or emergency response all over the world. And Save the Children has come in and um, committed itself to being part of this borderland response. And so we have a child play space. We have a partnership with a local author, Denise Chavez, who um, has helped put together. An area where uh, books are distributed to people um, that they're willing to either read here or take with them. We have areas where there's games and activities that people can do while they're on campus, um, and you know, there's movies and things like that. And of course, people have opportunity to to go and have some quiet time too if they need that. Um, And and really, people are not with us for a very long time. They're their turnaround is about 24 or 48 hours before they get on their way to their sponsor. But our goal is really to address all of the basic needs, and uh, we're able to do that only in collaboration with the partnerships that we have. Uh, you know, Lutheran Family Services um, has really excellent people who are here every day to connect people with social services in the des- in their destination. Um, ACLU comes in and and talks to people and. Um, helps address any issues that they may that they may have. So um, it's it's become a really big community effort, effort. We try to provide wraparound services as much as possible. Casa de Peregrinos has been an excellent partner, as has El Soup Kitchen. It gets scary when you start naming people because you know that you're going to forget people. But um, really, organizations and individuals have stepped up uh, to make this possible. Each each of the components that has come together to serve our guests. Um, has really been a team effort by all the folks who are here on site um, and others uh, who contribute in a whole bunch of different ways.
1: Now, I also, uh, when I was with you guys yesterday, you took me to your, uh, I don't know if you called it an infirmary or your medical facility, but you guys have a nurse on staff as well.
0: We do. We have a few, um, a few people um, on our medical team, and we also have a partnership with a Memorial Medical Center family practice um, and uh, a, good, a good relationship with them and their residents uh, and a local pharmacy. And so it's, it's really become uh, like a good place to, to offer the services that we can provide while people are here with us temporarily.
1: Now, just out of curiosity, if you do have to take somebody to the hospital or go to a primary care um, facility, how does that? How does the billing work? Do you guys have like a? Is it almost like a group health plan where you can just kind of plug and play and put put the names of the people in because they're staying you with you for that twenty four forty eight hour period? How do, I'm just curious how that works.
2: Yeah, I I hate to say that that's uh, that's a question I'm not capable of answering. Um, the Memorial Medical Center is the one who handles all of our patients, and so the family practice they're they're just seen there. Uh, see there at the hospital, and then did they get released to us.
0: And I would say overwhelmingly, most of the things um, that we're seeing are things like dehydration or, um, you know, perhaps a small cold or something like that. It's People, by the time they arrive to us, have already tested COVID-negative, and so um, it's really we really most of the things are, are pretty minimal, um, and most people end up staying on campus Um if after we're getting there any, any potential medical or health needs addressed on campus, which is pretty fortunate.
1: Now, you, you kind of reminded me, we hadn't talked, I hadn't thought uh, in the last 30 minutes or so about COVID, but obviously this program existed before COVID, and like, like everybody else, you probably had your challenges, but it sounds to me like uh, because they're tested before they come to you, uh, it may have uh, kind of streamlined things for you.
0: Yeah, I, I think we would be um, we would be prepared to be able to test here on campus um, if 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 and when that becomes um, becomes something that uh, I don't know evolves. But at this point, uh, we're able to bring people on campus who have already tested negative, and so it means that they're you know medically ready to travel mostly by that point, and so it does kind of help people get on their way pretty quickly.
1: Um, now, something I just thought of, what about dental? Do you guys have a partnership with a local dental practice or, or a public health agency?
0: No, and, and so
2: that actually kind of ties into another uh, aspect of what we're doing. Um, where When we see folks, we could get folks, maybe they have dental issues, maybe they have uh, diabetes issues or hypertensive issues that haven't been addressed while they've been migrating. And our objective is to basically stabilize people and get them to their final destinations where they can seek out medical care, definitive care for their issues. So folks aren't going to be on, on scene or on site, should I say, long enough to, to have issues like dental or, or the trauma of migrating. You know the the mental health care issues. They're not going to be addressed when they're here. They're, they'll address those when they arrive at their
1: destinations. Okay. Now, Kyle, you you do the you do the the hiring and staffing. How many employees do you have uh, for Border Servant Corps? Full time, part time.
2: Um, Border Servant Corps has four. We have Border Servant Corps has four employees.
0: And then our team is composed of. Um, a lot of volunteers and and other folks who have come through a variety of avenues as
1: well. Maybe I should have been more specific. Or the is the 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 hospitality program have a separate? It looked to me like there are certainly more than four people working there.
2: Yeah, we have we have different number of people on duty at any given time.
1: And and you have both you know full time and part time employment.
2: Uh, we have full time. We have part time. We have a lot of volunteers.
1: Okay. Now. Um... Do I don't know, do you guys get an opportunity, and and maybe, Kari, probably less so, probably even you, Kyle, because you guys are in in kind of management roles, but do you have you ever had an opportunity to just kind of listen to some of the stories uh, that people that have, uh, I would imagine, whatever journeys people have taken to get from wherever they've come from uh, to get to you guys, they've probably experienced a thing or two. Do you guys ever have an opportunity to sit down and talk to people and learn from them and and maybe hear... uh, you know, unfortunately, some some horror stories or, or maybe some positive things.
0: Yeah, we do. And I guess all of our team really, we do get an opportunity to chat with our guests. Um, we're very aware that while people are with us, we really don't want to be, you know, we, we intentionally don't, you know, poke and prod and ask questions. If people feel free, if people want to share things of their own volition, they're more than welcome to do so. Um but we don't want to, you know, we don't want to ask people questions that are going to make them feel uncomfortable, or you know, kind of challenge this power dynamic of we're providing, we're providing services. So we don't want people to feel like they're compelled to tell us things. However, of course, people people do share. Um, they everyone processes their experience in different ways, and so. Um, we, you know, we have families and we have single individuals that come to us, and everyone has had their own experience. Exactly as you said, some, some which have been less traumatic than others, and some which have been pretty significantly traumatic. And so, so because we don't know their level of trauma, we're pretty intentional. Um, staff and volunteers are very intentional about not trying to not trying to re-traumatize people. Um, especially as, as they're only here with us for a short-term period of time. Um, but, yeah, I, we've had um, some really wonderful stories of, um, you know, th- people who are going to be able to unite with parents that they haven't seen in years. Um, sometimes, it's, you know, they're going to meet their parent for the first time in their, in their, you know, the years where, where memories form, maybe their parents, um, you know, left to the United States to help provide funding for the family send send money back, um, you know, when the child was two years old and now they're an adult and they're coming to unite with their family. And that's, that's really special. And we've also had heartbreaking stories. You know, people don't choose, um, people don't usually choose to leave just because. And especially knowing what the process is like um, to come to a different country uh, it's, it's a really hard choice just to pack up, to only have, you know, what you can carry with you, to not know what the journey is going to be like, to enter unknown situations. Um, people have had really, um, some very challenging reasons why they've left the journey. Can it, uh, people can experience lots of things on the journey. And so, so yeah, we've heard the gamut of really beautiful things and some really challenging things.
1: Well, I would imagine that um you know being the the executive director there uh kari you there's planning is a big part and planning for the future and i'm I'm sure you have a a budget and 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 goals and plans that you you make for i don't know one or two year periods but beyond that, where do you see the future of the border servant corps um and do you see it lasting in perpetuity or is do you think it might come to an end someday? i mean what are your thoughts on that? Oh goodness!
0: If only I had a crystal ball. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I the mission of Border Servant Corps is to serve this community in whi- in whichever way serves the community the community best. And so sometimes that may may manifest itself in different ways. And so um, I would hope that Border Servant Corps will be around for years to come. And no matter how it, how its, its projects manifest, um, I hope that it, it remains central in its goal to serve the community alongside really dedicated community partners um, in whichever way serves the community best.
1: Well, I guess, you know, if one day we finally get um, people to come together and pass a meaningful immigration reform, uh, legislation, then maybe the, the hospitality program won't be as necessary, but the, the border immersion and some of the other programs you guys are involved in uh, can last as long as people will, will uh, help fund them. Um, if people want to make donations and if people want to volunteer, Kyle, what's the best way to get a hold of Border Servant Corps and the hospitality program so people can can accomplish that?
2: They can go to our website. Which is? Which is
1: BorderservantCorp.org. BorderservantCorp.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we spent the last 35 or 40 minutes uh, talking to uh, Kari Lonnender and Kyle Boyd. Of the Border Servant Corps uh, running the immersion program the hospitality program and all other programs uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did I have to tell you um, when I went yesterday toward the facility and kind of did a pre-interview with these two the best way to describe it is I felt really inspired I felt really inspired by the by uh, you know and the idea of the Border Servant Corps is not new to me uh, I've had some brief involvement with it in the past um, And uh, I kind of knew what they were doing. But to be on scene uh, and to see in the physical form, if you will, all the services they offer, uh, like I said, the the best way to describe is that it was very inspiring. um, And I'm very glad I was able to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Square Peg podcast. Make sure you tune in next week um, for another great episode. And you know we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and on our home homepage at lascrucestoday.com. Thank you very much. We will see you later. Hey, if you are having a wedding uh, and you need a photographer or videographer, if you are a local artist in the southern New Mexico or west Texas area and you uh, need a video, a music video made, uh, a real good place to go is my, my friend Isaac Powell Fox's business, Palomora Productions. Uh, they're located pretty close to Las Cruces downtown. And uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram and all those different places. Uh, you can also get them at uh, www.palomar.com. For all your weddings, music videos, and anything else you need, a professional videographer or photographer.
0: The Square Peg Podcast. Proudly produced by lascrucestoday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.